Request for admission. A request for admission, sometimes also called a request to admit, is a set of statements sent from one litigant to an adversary, for the purpose of having the adversary admit or deny the statements or allegations therein. Requests for admission are part of the discovery process in a civil case. In the U.S. federal court system, they are governed by Rule 36 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Basic structure. A request for admission is a list of questions which are similar in some respects to interrogatories, but different in form and purpose. Each question is in the form of a declarative statement which the answering party must then either admit, deny, or state in detail why they can neither admit nor deny the truthfulness of the statement, for example for lack of knowledge, etc. This effectively puts the admissions in the form of true-false questions. For example, in a case involving an automobile accident, the plaintiff might include in their request a statement such as Defendant Smith was driving a blue Dodge Caravan on the morning of the accident. Under Rule 36A, 5, of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, the answering party may also object to the request, and state the reason for their objection, so long as the objection is not solely because the request would present a genuine issue of fact for trial. Rule 36A, 1, limits the types of requests to be limited to, a, facts, the application of law to fact, or opinions about either, and, b, the genuineness of any described documents. However, the rule places no limits on the number of requests which may be made of either litigant. State court rules, however, may be stricter than this. Notably, under Rule 36A, three requests for admission are automatically deemed admitted in U.S. federal courts if the opponent fails to timely respond or object. The opponent bears the burden of moving for relief from its failure to respond and providing a legitimate excuse for why it did not respond earlier. Some U.S. states have reversed the burden as set forth in the federal rules, such that the party propounding the RFAs must follow up with a motion to have RFAs deemed admitted. Purpose Requests for admission help narrow the scope of the controversy by getting certain admissions or denials of issues relevant to the lawsuit on record before a trial takes place. While evidence introduced at trial can be rebutted, admissions which are on record must be taken as true unless the judge permits them to be withdrawn or amended. Thus, requests for admission can obviate presentation of some evidence and make the actual trial shorter and more efficient. Admissions are also useful at summary judgment, as an admission will generally mean that there is no issue of material fact about the question the admission relates to. Also, federal rules of civil procedure have placed 25 questions per party limitations on the use of interrogatories, but there is no numerical limit in FRCP on the request for admission, unless specified differently in local rules of the state which most states do have. In California, requests for admission are generally limited to the numerical limit of 35. However, a party in California who wishes for additional requests for admission may make a declaration for additional discovery. Request for production. A request for production is a legal request for documents, electronically stored information, or other tangible items made in the course of litigation. In civil procedure, during the discovery phase of litigation, 
a party to a lawsuit may request that another party provide any documents that it has that pertain to the subject matter of the lawsuit. For example, a party in a court case may obtain copies of email messages sent by employees of the opposing party. The responding party is required to furnish copies of any documents that are responsive to the request, except for those that are legally privileged. The responding party also can submit a response to the requester explaining why the documents cannot be produced. For example, the responding party may indicate that documents are unavailable because they have been destroyed, that it would be unduly burdensome to produce the documents, or that the documents are not in possession of the responding party. However, the requester then may file a motion to compel discovery to ask the court to order the responding party to produce documents. The rules governing requests for the production of documents vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. In the U.S. federal court system, such requests are governed by Rule 34 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. Dash. Default judgment. Default judgment is a binding judgment in favor of either party based on some failure to take action by the other party. Most often, it is a judgment in favor of a plaintiff when the defendant has not responded to a summons or has failed to appear before a court of law. The failure to take action is the default. The default judgment is the relief requested in the party's original petition. Default can be compared to a forfeit victory in sports. In a civil trial involving damages, a default judgment will enter the amount of damages pleaded in the original complaint. If proof of damages is required, the court may schedule another hearing on that issue. A party can have a default judgment vacated, or set aside, by filing a motion, after the judgment is entered, by showing a proper excuse. United States. In the United States the law relating to a default judgment depends upon the jurisdiction within which the civil action was filed. State courts, United States federal courts, tribal courts and many administrative agencies have their own laws and local procedural rules relating to the granting and setting aside of a default judgment. The Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, Rules 55 and 60, are the basis for many procedures in default. Federal Rule 37b, 3, states that a plaintiff can be found in default and have his case dismissed if the plaintiff repeatedly fails to comply with things like court orders and discovery requests. Entry of default. Typically, the plaintiff, or cross-complainant, cross-plaintiff, counterclaimant, counterplaintiff, third-party plaintiff, etc., must show that service of process was affected on the defendant, cross-defendant, counter-defendant, cross-defendant, third-party defendant, etc. This is typically achieved by the filing of an affidavit of service, also known as a proof of service, which gives enough information to allow the court to confirm that valid service has been accomplished. Typically the affidavit states, under oath or penalty of perjury, that service was affected on a named defendant, briefly describes how it was affected, names the person who made service, and gives the place and date service was affected. Once the requisite time to respond to the complaint has passed, the defendant is in default, this may be automatic, or it may require the court clerk to enter the default, which may, in turn, require that the plaintiff request entry of the default. Some defaults do not take effect until a set period of time after the clerk acts. The clerk may have to give the defendant notice of his default, affording a chance to have the default vacated. The entry of a default typically prevents the defaulted defendant from litigating his case or presenting evidence, and may excuse the other parties from giving him notice of further proceedings. Relief from default. A defaulted defendant may move the court from relief from his default, but usually must do so promptly and must provide good cause for his failure to answer the complaint in time. Often, 
Part of the procedure for relief from default involves the defendant filing an answer to the complaint. The defendant relieved from default may also be required to pay any extra costs and fees incurred by the plaintiff as a result of the delay in the defendant's filing his answer. Default judgment. Often, a certain additional time is required before a default judgment is permissible, and there may need to be additional notice to the defendant. Some states do not allow a default judgment to be entered against some defendants while other defendants are actively litigating the same case. This is an application of the one final judgment rule. Others will allow several judgments, judgment with respect to some defendants at one time, and with respect to others at another time, at least under some circumstances. The Service Member Civil Relief Act significantly restricts default judgments against members of the military services. The law requires that before a default judgment may be entered, the plaintiff must make a certification as to the military service status of the defendant whose default is sought. This certification may be made in the complaint, in a document filed with a proof of service, or later. Depending on the circumstances, other requirements may also apply. Some jurisdictions allow a clerk of court to enter default judgment in certain simple cases. These typically involve no exercise of judgment or discretion. Otherwise, a default judgment must be issued by a judge, who may require the plaintiff to present proof of his claims. Relief from default judgment. A defendant who has had a default judgment entered against him may move for an order vacating the judgment. Such a defendant must show good cause for his not having responded to the complaint. However, good cause is rather easy to meet, compared to other instances where good cause might be required. For example, mere excusable neglect is, at least at the federal level, a sufficient reason to vacate default judgments. There are often time limits and other requirements. Sewer service, where a default judgment is obtained by fraud by not properly notifying the defendant that they are being sued, may result in a motion to vacate the default judgment, a civil lawsuit against a dishonest plaintiff or process server or criminal charges for swearing a false affidavit. A court entertaining a motion to vacate a default judgment often considers the reasons presented for the defendant's failure to respond, such as excusable neglect and the prejudice that might be suffered by the other party. The court must weigh these factors in light of two competing considerations, the general preference for cases to be decided on the merits, and the important need for finality in litigation. England and Wales. How judgment arises. In England and Wales, a claimant starts a case by issuing a claim form. This either states a monetary figure on it, together with fixed costs and court fees, alternatively if the amount cannot be determined, it will be for an amount to be assessed. A claimant may not wish to recover money at all, in which case the claim form states this. The claim form, together with other documents, known as particulars of claim and a response pack, are served on the defendant. If the defendant fails to reply within 14 days of service, the claimant can apply for a judgment in default, either by simply requesting the court's administrative staff enter judgment filing a request for judgment, which is sufficient for routine cases, or by making a formal application to the procedural judge. The judgment is known as judgment in default of acknowledgement of service. If the defendant acknowledges to the court that the papers were served within the 14-day period, then the defendant is given 28 days to take a further step. If the defendant fails to do so, again judgment can be entered as above, this time formally known as judgment in default of defense. If money is claimed, the claimant can choose how their judgment will be phrased. Almost always there will be a request that the money claimed, the court fee and interest at 8% on the money from when the claim form was issued up until date of judgment, and if legally represented a fixed contribution to legal costs, be ordered to be paid immediately.
However, the claimant could simply request the defendant be ordered to pay at a later date or in installments. If money is claimed but the amount is not fixed, a disposal hearing is listed to determine the amount of money. If any other remedy is claimed, the claimant would have had to apply to the procedural judge for the judgment in default, and therefore the judge will determine what happens next. Judgments in default are covered by Part 12 of the Civil Procedure Rules 1998. Effective Judgment The judgment is binding and failure to comply with it means that enforcement action could be taken. The defendant's name is also entered onto a register, although if they pay within a month it will be removed, which is open to everyone, and is particularly used to vet the creditworthiness of people. In the case of Masters v. Lever Yukasiv 2016 it was held that a judgment in default means just that, it is a judgment obtained due to default. It does not mean that the court has agreed with what was claimed, or favors one or other case. Therefore, if the issue arises again, the defendant is not prevented from arguing the facts again. Varying default judgment. If a defendant accepts the judgment and the amount, but is unable to pay, the defendant may apply to vary the judgment. A process has gone through whereby the defendant states how soon they can afford to pay the debt, usually monthly installments, and the claimant can either accept this, or request another amount. The court staff will suggest a figure and ultimately a district judge, and be in England and Wales a district judge is one of the lowest levels of judge, will make a decision. The decision is binding, even if it means the claimant is out of their money for a considerable amount of time, and even if interest cannot be charged on the outstanding sum, which it usually cannot. Setting aside default judgment. There are three grounds for cancelling, setting aside, the default judgment. The documents were not served correctly. The defendant has to show that the documents were not served, which would explain why the claimant had the ability to enter judgment. This has to be done by way of an application on notice, motion. Evidence has to be shown to the procedural judge. This used to be called setting aside an irregular judgment. There is some good reason why judgment in default should be set aside. This covers any situation but is commonly used when service was affected properly, but still did not come to the attention of the defendant, perhaps they were on a long vacation, or in hospital. Many jurisdictions also require the defendant to proffer a meritorious defense before vacating the default judgment. The claimant entered judgment when they were not entitled so to do. For example, perhaps a defense was filed in time, but the claimant still attempts to enter judgment. The court staff usually check for things like this, but occasionally things slip through the net. It used to be the obligation of the claimant to apply to set aside their own judgment in these circumstances, but this obligation was dropped in 2005. In the last circumstance of the above, the defendant can get the judgment cancelled as of right. Otherwise, the defendant needs to show what their defense will be, and if the court thinks that the defendant is effectively stalling for time they will not get the judgment set aside. Practice in practice, an application to set aside default judgment is almost always granted. This fact is seized upon by so-called credit repair companies. A person whose credit record is adversely affected by a registered judgment pays a credit repair company who advises them how to apply to have it set aside. This is usually of little effect, the judgment will be re-entered very quickly if there is no actual defense, and there are usually other records which affect a person's credit rating, not just the judgment. Pragmatic reasons why judgments are set aside are mainly because on balance, it is seen as better to give a person who may have a good defense extra time, and avoid a potentially devastating judgment, and thereby keep a claimant out of their money for a further two to four weeks, than give the claimant the benefit. However the court can, and often does, order conditions to be satisfied, 
such as a draft defense being filed first, money paid into court, or similar conditions. Setting aside a judgment and default is covered by Part 13 of the Civil Procedure Rules.